0: Okay, Um, we've got the second side of our handout, or any questions from this morning, or any questions in general? First, any questions in general, or from this morning? There's only four blanks, right? So you should be able to fill those in. Okay, yes, Kevin. Just clarification, is that talking about the rapture? The The rapture's not envisioned. In the timetable of things in the timetable of things. Um, and one of the reasons why I didn't teach the book of Revelation is some of these things, I'm still like, my cement's drying, you know what I mean? this is this only has Israel in view. We have jumped to the end of the tribulation period. We've jumped to the end of the seven year period we 're zooming into that uh, piecing together from Daniel chapter nine, book of revelation the uh, the foolish shepherd spoken of at the end of chapter eleven that god 'll raise up is the the Antichrist or some figure like that. Israel will enter into some packed with him they will jesus says in john um 6 i come in my own name and you do not receive me but if another comes in his name you will receive him they'll buy in they'll sign on they'll be all for him and then at a certain point he will turn on them and that's when the nations of the world will gather so we have jumped to the very end of the tribulation period to you so all those things have already taken place in, in Zechariah's vision, he's just—if you think of uh, like a camera snapshot of a photograph—we're just looking at the, the days and hours before the second coming of Christ. So, yeah, th- that's that's not in view here. Yes. Is it to say that the is the yes. What Elsa said is is true. Uh, is it is it valid to say or correct to say the rapture is imminent? but the second coming has observable signs that will precede it. Yes, that is correct. Um, so, so Jesus' return to gather his bride is at any moment, and yet we know there are certain things, like, for instance, the sun turning to darkness and other signs that will occur prior to his second coming. So at any moment, he, he could return. The, the beginning of that seven-year period could kick off at any moment, but you got to get through seven years. <laughs> Um, so, so no, the end of the seven years is not imminent at any moment. The beginning of the seven years could start at any moment. Other questions? The tribulation will be quite- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The tribulation will be quite, quite noticeable, especially when you consider that like World War II doesn't qualify. <laughs> it's going to be Bad our men's group read through the book of Revelation and in every chapter it's like and a third of the earth died and a third so you get to like a third of a third of a third, of a third or it, 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 the population dwindling quickly uh, it's it's bad and ugly yes other questions going once going twice okay who needs a handout Um, Matthew Braun, would you be so kind as to hand out the handouts to those who need one? Thank you. Now, if I recall correctly, we finished the front side of this, right? No. Just the top half? Good grief. We're racing through it. We're just speeding through it. Okay. Okay. And what we're going to do... What? What? just saying it's like John McClough, it's Oh, no, this is where... Well, this... Here, here's, here's the irony. This is all... This, this thing that we've been going through for now over a year started as a 12-week class at Grace Community Church called Fundamentals of the Faith. I taught that two or three times at Grace Community Church. The last time I taught it... Stacy, were you part of that? No, but I, I know that yeah, yeah. Um, the... <laughs> They kept asking questions, hey, it's not my fault, they, they would ask questions, and so a 12-week class turned into like a 46-week class, which turn, was timed into a Bible, was turned into a Bible study, which they made a t-shirt, um, which I can wear one of these days, and it said something like disciplined for study or something, anyway. So this, this 12-week class, but you're like a three-hour tour, it was like, you know, that, and 48 weeks later, we finished the material, and then we just kept on, but they liked, they liked it so much, like, let's keep studying the Bible together. So we started the Bible study, and, and Jacob and Stacy joined that once it had landed as a Bible study, and uh, then that material turned into the Tough Men classes we did here, and then that turned into this material. So it's been developed and developed. So this, what you're learning, originally was a 12-week class. We've been in, an, we're, about, we're almost halfway through, having gone over a year through it, so we're doing well. Um, we need more handouts. Does anyone know how to operate the copier? Hey, Greg. Greg went to do it. Okay, awesome. So, to cover where we have gone, we have first identified that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an f- immaterial force. Then we dealt with the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, third member of the Trinity. Then we looked at the Holy Spirit's work and ministry in the Old Testament, in creation, in the writing of Scripture, empowering people for ministry, and in um, generally being with the people of God. Then we turned to the corner and began looking at the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, We looked at that first section. Now we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's involvement in our growth in the faith, our growth in what's called sanctification, which is a Christianese way of saying becoming more obedient, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more pure. Um, or, to use our text from this morning, being refined. And so what, I'm, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these passages, and I'm just going to call on someone to read them. So if you want to look one of these up, I can say, hey, who's got Romans 8? And we'll go from there. So if you want to be looking ahead, that's how we're going to go through this. Um, if you don't have a sheet, you will shortly, but we're going to get started. Um, who's got Romans 8, 15 to 16? Okay. Linda, no, Linda's got Jim. Too late, Jim. Linda's got it. Nice try. That was, ni- that was a nice try, but a little too slow for Linda. Linda. So the blanks here. If you have a sheet, he testifies with our own spirits, giving us assurance. So one of what is the Holy Spirit? We've been given the Holy Spirit. To, to what purpose? To what end? The, the first thing we're going to say is the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of our salvation. He testifies with our spirits that we are sons of God. He, he, if you might be, you know, can I really call God Father? Yes, yes, we we have a spirit of adoption, and He testifies with our spirits that we are sons of God. Questions on that? Okay. Who's got John? Do we have the new, the new sheets here yet, or is Greg still doing that? Okay? Um, What? He testifies with our own spirits giving us assurance. He testifies with our own spirits giving us... Yes, Jim? You go... I mean, it's a pretty big deal to go from being hostile and alienated from your environment and your Creator to being reconciled and at peace with your environment and your Creator. Um, And... Yeah, one of the one of the guarantors. It also means when we get discouraged, when we um, when we have walked in the darkness and we return and like, hey, do I even know the Lord? His Spirit testifies with our Spirit and and um, gives us assurance. Yeah. Questions, thoughts. Okay, John fourteen twenty six and John sixteen thirteen. Who's got it? You can get this one, Jim. Jim's got this one. He beat you, Linda. Take both of them, Jim. Which, by the way, that that promise right there is part of the foundation for the New Testament. See, Jesus is promising his apostles that after he departs, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things he said. How can we know the gospel writers got it correctly? Because Jesus promised them that the Spirit would bring to remembrance the things he said. So already we're getting sort of some anticipation, even as Jesus is walking on earth, of the coming books of the Bible. The Spirit's going to bring to mind what I told you. Now now read 16.13. The Holy Spirit teaches us. That's the blank here. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Um, We'll talk about this more after the next blank because that point here and the next one kind of go together. 1 Corinthians 2.12-14. If we could all... You got it, Lee, but Let's everyone turn here because I want to slow down on this verse. You, you're fast, quick. Okay, First Corinthians chapter two. Wait, 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 wait. Wait for everyone to get there. Wait for you. Hear the pages turning. That's what I got to do. If I'm in, if I'm in preaching and I'm like, let's turn here. I got to wait for the pages. And then when the, thank you, I'm not there yet. Hold on. I'm too busy talking. <laughs> that never happens, right? Never happens. Okay, I'm ready. No, I'm not. Hold on. There it is. Okay. You almost went British on me. You almost said Kant. not You can't understand them. Sorry. Di- oh, I, I think it's wonderful. Privacy. You know, it's great. Um, where's Greg? Dynasty. Okay. No. Um, anyway, but just, let's just look here. We're getting back to the spirit we've received. We have received the spirit, not from the world. The spirit is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Which is to say, to understand this. That's Why, why do we receive the Spirit? To understand Scripture. So the blanks here, the Spirit reveals the things given to us by God. The Spirit reveals the things given to us by God. Not only that, look down at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned, which is not to say that you can't go to an unbeliever and say, you know, um, hey, this is the gospel. is who Jesus is. I don't understand. That's not saying that. It's not saying to sit there and go, what? That makes no sense. The notion is accepting, believing, approving of. What you can't do is embrace and internalize and, and um, appropriate this truth apart from God's spirit. Um, does that does that make sense? That's what he's saying. It takes the spirit of God for us to see this as a beautiful and good thing. Um, questions, thoughts. Yes, Zach. Yes, sir. Mhm. Tr- where do you see all truth? Sorry. Oh, okay. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Oh, he's back in John. Okay. Let's go back to John. 14 or 16? 16. John 16. John's 16... Verse what? sixteen thirteen. Um, pick it up in 12. Let's start the paragraph. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I've said he will take what is mine and declare it all to you. What is your question, sir? I don't I don't think that's what he's saying. What I think he means is is in all the truth that you deal with, he will guide you. I mean, I guess there's two validly English ways to interpret this, right? So it says, He will guide you into all the truth, into all the ESV is the. the. Let me check out the Greek, hold on. All the truth. Um, but I've always understood that to mean like all truth you encounter, He will guide you through. All the truth that you deal with, He will be your guide, rather than here's a promise for omniscience. Um, so I don't think is what Jesus is saying, but let me give you a better answer in just a moment. 16, 13, 13. Bust up my Greek. And we've got... What kind of this I say to you? I've been Well, even, even, yeah, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we see now through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Yeah. Um, in the spirit of the truth will uh, lead you in the truth, the all. He will lead you in the truth, the all. Um, and I think he's just saying he'll lead you in all truth. Like all throughout the truth he will lead you, not rather some statement of omniscience, like you will, you will understand all truth. Because God hasn't even revealed all truth to us. I mean, this is this is not an infinite set of truth. This is a limited set of truth. Right? There's plenty of topics I wish the Bible would be nice if the Bible talked about. There's plenty of truth I could think of. Like, you know, how many of us here are like, Lord, who who am I supposed to marry? I'd be nice if that truth was revealed. It's not. You know, plenty of other truth is not. Who's going to win the World Series? You know, um, and it's not revealed. There's all sorts of truth that could have been revealed that's not revealed. There's a lot of truth that's been revealed. And our guide through all the truth will be the Spirit. That, that's, that's how I took, that's how I take John. But excellent observation, excellent question. Any other questions before we move on? Oh, ahead, yes. He testifies with our own spirits, giving us assurance. He testifies with our own spirits, giving us assurance. John 14, the Holy Spirit teaches us, number 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit reveals the things given to us by God. Um, yes, Jim? Right. Well, one of the big, I think, mistakes a lot of people make, and there's two, there's two errors that frequently happen. Like there's two ways to fall off a... Table, there's two ditches on the side of the road. There are those churches, denominations, and types of Christianity that make so much of the Spirit, they distort this picture. And then there's people who, either because they're afraid of being those people or for whatever reason, so minimize the Spirit's ministry and work that you hardly know He's there. But I want you to notice in John 16, the Spirit's primary ministry is to testify, not, He doesn't speak on His own authority, He speaks of what He hears. In other words, the Spirit can, and we see in the New Testament, speak directly to people. But the fundamental ministry of the Spirit is to testify and illuminate our minds to understanding this. Right? So it's not fundamentally that we're expecting the Spirit to speak to us. Rather, expecting the Spirit to illuminate our minds, to help us receive and understand this book. The Spirit fundamentally is not here to testify on his own authority. He speaks of what he hears. He, does, that, does that make sense? So I think that if you're in a church or if you're dealing with a denomination where they're emphasizing you know, the ongoing revelatory work of the Spirit, right off the bat, that really seems odd to me, since Jesus says, look, he's not here to draw attention to himself. He's not here to speak on his own authority. He's here fundamentally to help us understand the things given to us by God. He's here fundamentally to lead us in all truth. He's here fundamentally to testify to this word. Um, and so, if so, on the one hand, we want to um, recognize that as we're reading the word, as we're trying to understand the word, we want to recognize that the Spirit is helping us in that. Um, who is who is the person who asked me just recently? Was it Kingery? Is that you? Or is that somebody else? Was it Mark Sullivan? Somebody asked me, is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? And it's an interesting question, right? Um, was that you, Dave, or was that, was that Sullivan or somebody else? Okay. Was, were we, did we have that conversation about prayer to the Holy Spirit, or was that Mark Sullivan and me? Somebody, somebody asked me, hey, is it appropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit? Was that you or is that somebody else? that was somebody i wouldn't ask that question okay fair enough Fair. it was somebody else i think it was probably mark sullivan then okay no it's an interesting question because um well, well let me throw that out what do you what do you think do you think it'd be appropriate to pray to the holy spirit yes okay why he's god here's the next question do we have any biblical warrant or examples to do so Do we have any... Let's broaden it out. Do we have any biblical warrant or examples to pray to Jesus? Yes? Okay. Where are they? But he's right there. He's, so, so, um, um, I don't know if that's prayer as like talking, you know. Um, there are... No, there are. There is, there is warrant. They're not... They're, they're a lot harder to find than you'd think. Um, Stephen, when he's stoned, looks up, sees the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, which is direct prayer, direct address, um, and um, do not not count this sin against them. And so he prays to Jesus. Paul, in one other case at least, does. um, So no, we have warrant, biblical pattern and warrant to do that. However, um, oh, we we deal with this, don't we? We deal with this. We deal with this later on the other side of the sheet. Okay, I won't get there too fast. Um, I will say this, though. It does seem as though the pattern, the general pattern, I was, I was talking to, it was, must have been Mark, um, is that all three members of the Trinity are functioning in our prayer life. So in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us to pray. We don't know how to pray as we ought. So the Spirit is on our end helping us to pray. Our prayers are mediated. You got, do you guys get the concept of mediation like if you have an attorney, he represents you. He goes in the court of law and he speaks. He mediates for you. Um, our prayers are mediated to the Father's throne by Jesus. He's the High Priest there. He's ushering them in. He's he's, he's he's ministering, and we speak to God the Father. So that's the general pattern of prayer. So we pray by the Spirit's help through the mediation of Jesus to the Father. And if and if and I would think that anybody who that's not the norm, the sort of the center, the steak and potatoes of the prayer life. That would seem odd to me. If, if like all they're doing is praying to the Spirit, or even all they're doing is praying to Jesus. Certainly I think those other things are appropriate. I would say it probably makes the most sense to address um, the Spirit in prayer if we're speaking to the areas of ministry we know He does. For instance, sometimes if I'm about to read my Bible, I'll say, Spirit, help me understand what I'm about to see. I know that's what He does. It seems appropriate to address Him. Um, the spirit is the member of the Trinity least trying to draw glory and attention to himself. He seems to be the one holding a spotlight on the Father and the Son. So, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that more in full on the other side of the sheet. But that's my sort of short answer after opening a can of worms. Yes, Wendell, I doubt it. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh no, 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 no. What I'm saying. What I'm saying is more of a statement of sort of. If I was to gather with a bunch of believers and about 95% of their prayers were addressed to the Holy Spirit pretty much constantly, something would seem off to me. And I'm not saying those prayers would be ineffective. I would be very suspicious that they're misunderstanding something, that something's off here, that that's not normal. So, I'm not trying to set up a percentage rule like you get to do it twice a day or every 10 times. For every 10 times you pray to God the Father, you get to. I'm not trying to say that at all. What I am saying, though, is, is that does seem to be the pattern set up, especially for people who are reading and studying their Bibles. If that wasn't normal, I think definitionally I can say then that is abnormal. You know, like, by the, that, that's all I'm getting at. In the throne room. There's a priest. That, that's what I'm getting at, Wendell. As, as a person deepens in our understanding of Scripture, what we see is this pattern of, here's a throne, and the one on the throne is scary. <laughs> he's, yet in that throne room is one who who's f- serving in a priestly function. He's intermediating. He, he's offered up a sacrifice on our behalf, so we get to come before the very throne. I'm saying, if I met a Christian who's like, oh, I don't bother going to the throne room. I just tell the Holy Spirit, and I trust he's going to fill the other members of the Trinity. I'd be like, that's strange. That's all I'm saying is that it would seem weird. I'm not trying to sit in judgment, but I think we know of churches where 90% of their prayers are addressed to the spirit. That seems off to me. That's all I'm saying. Like something like I couldn't say what. I got some ideas. I'd have to ask some questions, but that does seem off to me. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be trying to be nice with what I'm saying here. Um He taught his disciples to pray, addressing our Father. Yeah. Well, until the Holy Spirit comes, no one gets to call God Father. You can read, the, you can read the, the Psalms. They don't ever address God as Father. David never calls God Dad. This doesn't happen. Solomon, as he's dedicating the temple, can recognize that God is the Father of Israel, corporately. There's a corporate sonship of Israel. No Hebrew in the Old Testament... Ever dared address God as Father, let alone Daddy? It's just remarkable. And so Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, "Our Father." And we we should just we just blow right over that. That's huge. What I get to individually pray to God, calling him Dad. What? And then Romans eight explains we received the Spirit of sonship and adoption through whom we cry, "Abba, Father." So we've been adopted into God's family. So that's why I get to call him Dad. Um, that that's supposed to be huge shift of things. And we sort of take it for granted for the most part. Um, Yes, Linda. Uh, Correct. In this manner, pray. In this manner. He's not giving us a formula. In fact, he rebukes the Pharisees for for having these memorized prayers that they recite. So I think the Lord's Prayer is a wonderful road map for prayer, covering all those bases. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Make sure when we're praying Part of our prayer time is not focused on us and our needs, but the glory of God. God, may may you, your name be glorified. May, and that, there's really a missions implication in that because how can God's name be hallowed except that people come to conversion and worship Him? You know, there's there's plenty of people in the Middle East who are not hallowing God's name. If I'm going to pray that God's name would be honored and hallowed, then implicitly I'm praying for the conversion. I mean, there's all so there's you could spend a lot of time praying about that, just the hallowing of God's name. Our Father our name, how about Thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's, that's getting us to the stuff like this morning 's text. we're supposed to be praying. the stuff like Zechariah 14 is coming and coming soon. Lord, would your kingdom come, Lord? would you, would you put righteousness on the earth um, on earth as it is in heaven? Then then, after we spend some time focusing on God 's glory and his what he needs, not what he needs, but what he deserves, his honor, his glory, his kingdom, then give us this day or daily bread. But normally it starts off with, like, help, I'm scared. You know? And God deals with us as children, and he's mindful of our weakness. But Jesus doesn't start with, I need the bread, I'm starving. It's your glory, your will, your kingdom. Now, here's what I need. Right? So there's a pattern in prayer that's being taught. It's not meant to be some mantra. Our Father, who I, our Father. I'll, I'll be there. That's, You're absolutely right, Linda. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's the Lord's Prayer. This isn't the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. Absolutely. You're quite right, Linda. I would... No tentative about it. I agree. Okay. Um, okay. Any other questions on this? This is good stuff. Good stuff. Yes. Sure. And I would ask you in return, why then does God reveal how prayer works through the various what, what's the point of showing us the economic workings of the Godhead in prayer? So that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And you can boldly, as Carol said, go into and address the king on the throne, because in the throne room is a high priest. And um, why would Jesus teach us to our Father address the Father directly? So, I'm, yeah, there's a freedom. I'm just saying the Scripture, at the same time as giving, I'd say, a freedom, lays out, here's how it normally works. Here's what normally happens. And a person could be totally ignorant of that or be poorly taught. Or a person could just say, well, that's neat and all, but I'm not interested in that. I'm just saying, since the Scriptures give such d- detail on here's how prayer works every step of the way, it would seem odd to me if that pattern was absent from a believers life that's all I'm saying is that seems to be normal and I think there's room for other stuff I'm not trying to make rules and laws but if I dealt with somebody who's just like you know what the father scares me I just talk to Jesus something's wrong you have peace with him or I'm just gonna talk to the Holy Spirit he's gonna fill the other members of the Trinity on what they need to know that something's wrong is all I'm saying um, the very least we're saying all these texts that show us Paul records his prayers There's a number of Paulian prayers recorded, like Ephesians 3. For this reason, I lift my um, head, bow my head to the... Oh, good grief. If you can't quote it, read it. If you can't quote it, read it. Listen to this. I mean, Paul has incredibly detailed prayers that he records. I mean, we just pray things like, Lord, help him. Right? Right? I see that hand. Hold on. Paul does not do that. Listen, listen. The buses are on their way. I see that hand. Um... No, go to Ephesians 3 real fast. Listen to this. And and Paul is praying, and you've got to ask yourself, why why does God want us to see a record of Paul's prayer? Well, I think part of it is to teach us how to pray. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, most of us are so individualistic. No one needs to teach me how to pray. I'll pray how I darn well please. Well, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Didn't they? Yes? Yes? Okay. God's left us models of prayer, which might be helpful to learn from. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened by the power, with power through His Spirit. So Paul's, Paul could just say, strengthen Him. He's very specific how he wants the strengthening happening. He's aware of the Trinitarian intra-workings that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see how there's every member of the Trinity right there? I'm praying to the Father that through the agency of His Spirit, Christ would dwell in your heart according to the riches of the Father's grace, um, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. There's a There's prayer. And Paul is detailed. He can just say, Lord, strengthen them and teach them stuff. And Paul is intricately praying this thing through. It's fascinating. I mean, we could do do a whole study on Paul's prayers. It's just fascinating as he leaves them in different books. Um, But anyway, we're getting ahead. We're going to get to this question again on the flip side of the page. Yes, Zeb. Right, right i got a better way. i got a simpler method. Let's go my way. Yeah. That, that's all I'm looking out for is that. I'm not, I'm not trying to... I'm just saying that when you go to some of the more charismatic churches and there's just so much attention to the Holy Spirit, something seems out of balance considering all that Jesus has to say about how the Spirit's not trying to draw attention to himself. <laughs> Everything has now become clear. Excellent. Excellent. Um, okay. Okay. Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. Who wants to read Ephesians 5.18? Adam. Give me a favor. Can you read 19 and 20 as well? Let me ask you a question. How do you... Okay, grammar question. Do you guys know the difference between an active and a passive verb? So if I hits the ball, it's active, right? If I am hit, it's passive. Something's being done to me. Is the command here an active or a passive command? It doesn't say fill yourself. Be filled. Which is a very interesting thing. How do you, It's clearly a command. How do you obey a command to let something be done to you? Have you ever stopped and think about that? He'd, you can fight it. You can fight it. Right. Allow yourself. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't don't get in the way, dummy. Now, some people have used this verse to create a whole theology of being drunk in the Spirit. Anyone ever seen that or encountered that? That's not the point. He goes on to describe, which is why I asked Adam to read verses 19 and 20, Um English words that end in I-N-G are generally called participles, like addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. And what they do is participles explain and unpack verbs, like the command, be filled with the Spirit, which leads to or which will, in the manner of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the God, giving thanks. That's That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like people who are drunk. The significance here is alcohol... If you, if you take too much of it in, will control your thoughts, your actions, your words. It will permeate you and control you. Rather, let the Spirit control you. And if the Spirit is filling and controlling you, it will permeate your thoughts and your actions. And you'll be encouraging one another. You'll be singing. You'll be giving thanks. You get how that works? This isn't a picture, this isn't a theology for being drunk in the Spirit. Um, which, at least I think that's gone out of vogue. That's, is that still popular today, or was that just popular 10 years ago? I'm sure someone on YouTube's doing it, but... Okay, okay, okay. Um, one other thing that can help you with that, keep your thumb here. I want you to read that again. There's a very, 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 very similar verse in Colossians. So let's just read this one more time. The blank, by the way, is we are to be filled with the Spirit. So, so let's read this one more time. Do not get drunk with wine. And pause. The Bible's... Um, What's the term I'm looking for? not poster child. The parad- wine is the paradigmatic um, biblical picture of intoxicants. So you can say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about getting high on meth. Wine,, no, it doesn't, does it? right? But wine becomes the, the paradigm of dealing with intoxicants. Because the whole point here is he tells you why getting drunk with wine is a problem. It leads to debauchery. It leads to a lack of self-control. So you can then infer legitimately, here's this other thing that if I imbibe it, I lose self-control. Okay, that's bad too. You know what I mean? Does Does that make sense? So, so even though the Bible doesn't go through every new drug we come up with, If it leads to a lack of self-control debauchery, according to, or if it enslaves, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, um, I'm free from all, free for all things, but not all things are beneficial. I'm free to do all things, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Is this an enslaving thing? Is this a, a losing of self-control thing? Yeah, then don't do it. But so he says, don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Go to Colossians 3 verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see how that's a near identical description? And what we learn in the scriptures then is this. The Spirit's primary weapon of choice, the Spirit's primary tool is the Word. He testifies to the Word. How does one obey the command to be filled with the Spirit? I'd say let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Give the Spirit tools to work with. It's not that they're identical, but clearly the effects of having Scripture dwelling in you richly is very similar to the effects of having the Spirit fill you. And so I can't make the Spirit come and fill me. What I can do is get my mind in the text... It's like watering seeds. I can't make it grow. I can certainly put it in the sun and put some water on it. And so that, that's, there's the synergy of the spirit testifying and planting and establishing God's word. I can only affect one of those two pieces, right? I can't make the spirit do anything. The wind blows or it wants to blow. What I can do is make the word present in my mind and in, in my life. That makes sense? Yes, no, maybe. OK. You're to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians five sixteen. Who's got that one? You've already got one. You've got to give other people a chance. Come on. Yes, June. Okay, we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. And the word for walk means conduct your life. Before cars, it, you walked around. It's your walk. It's your lifestyle. We now talk about your lifestyle. This is your lifestyle back then was walking. That was your lifestyle. Um, um, you walked about as you go about as you go about your day. In other saying things as you go about your day, go about your day in the spirit. Don't go about your day in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Don't walk in the flesh, because you can walk in the spirit sitting still. It's my point. It's just it's just a colloquialism for conducting yourself in your day as you walk about. That'd be Australian walkabout, right? Um, so. Walk, so, so it's not, it's not some mystical. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to conduct your daily life in the Spirit. And then there's all these descriptions of what that's going to look like. Um, as, as he just talks about bearing the, the the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the fruit of the flesh. Um, and again, there's this connection between the Word of Christ dwelling in richly and being filled with the Spirit. So one of the ways you walk in the Spirit is by keeping God's Word in your mind. Chewing on it, meditating on it, thinking about it, letting it instruct you, letting it correct you, letting it encourage you. So, yes, Galatians 5.16. I say, walk in the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. So we walk in the spirit, and again, it's very clear walking in the spirit is not some mystical thing. It's really obvious if you're walking in the spirit, you're bearing that fruit. It's very clear if you're walking in the other thing, bearing that fruit. Um questions about that. We're just about out of time, so I got time for one question. anyone got one question? Okay. We'll pick it up here next time. Um, actually let's do the last one because we already referenced it. We can finish the side of the page. We've already I've already obliquely referenced this Romans 8, 26 and 27. Um, the blanks are this: He helps in our weakness by interceding for us. He helps in our weakness by interceding for us. And Let's go to Romans eight and then we'll call it a day. Romans eight. Because I gotta make at least one point. There's all this groaning going on in Romans eight. All this groaning from the suffering of living in a fallen world. So in Romans eight uh, twenty-two, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. Verse twenty-three, not only the creation, but we ourselves have who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await the adoption. And then verse twenty six, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us for us with groanings too deep for words. Now we're going to get to this in a little bit when we talk about the spiritual gifts and we deal with the whole notion of prayer languages and and angelic tongues and stuff and say, ah, this is is a basis for that. No, it's not. Because I don't care what language you're speaking in. It's made up of words. Whatever's going on here is too deep for words. You're not speaking in a language if you're not speaking in words. Fair enough? Whether it's angelic, whether it's Parthian, whether it's Latin, you're speaking in words. Whatever the Spirit's doing here, his groaning, is not speaking in some other language. He's speaking in groanings too deep for words. Thank you, just want to make that one point. We'll come back to this later. But, but this is an important point, because like, see, this is why, you know, and then they, you know, no. It says too deep for words. It didn't say too deep for English or Hebrew or Greek words, just words. And we know what that's like. You get some bad news, you just let out a cry, you're like or you're excited and you're watching you know, the touchdown at the end of the game, and I, at least I hear people get excited about that. And like, yeah, you know, yeah! That, that's a joy too great for words. And there's sorrow and the anguish that people cry out too deep for words. The whole point is this is no longer verbal. This is a uh, eulation, I think is the technical term. Um, anyway, we'll just pick it up there next week. God bless. See you all. Same bat time, same bat channel.